We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Luke 10 and 11. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment and pray together. Father, many of us, we come this morning, um, like Martha in this story, we come distracted, distracted by um, things that are going on in our lives, some of us uh, very hard things, and yet we're here this morning, and God, we need you to break through, and we need you to speak to us. We need you to, to break through our unbelief. We need you to break through our skepticism and our cynicism. We need you to break through the lack of feelings and affections that we have for you as we, even as we sing these songs. God, would you come and would you speak to us this morning no matter where we find ourselves in this room? Thank you that you see us and you know us and you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what we need to hear and how we need to hear it. And so we ask that you would come and speak. Give us ears to hear all that you would have to say to us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, We are continuing in our series this morning. Uh, For the last several weeks, we've been in a series on the spiritual disciplines, what Christians have for a very long time called the spiritual disciplines. And this is what we've been saying every week, that spiritual disciplines are God-given practices Uh, that are meant to lead us into a deeper experience of God's love and therefore cultivate in us a deeper love for God and for others. And so we're about three weeks in now, and we've looked at the practice of Sabbath. We've looked at the practice of meditation. And uh, I've mentioned this, I think, almost every week, but one of the reasons we're we're doing this series is because I've, I've got some work to do in this area. That's why I chose this series. And just to prove that to you, I'll share a story with you. You know, just last Sunday, we we talked about meditation. And on Monday of last week, uh, I went to see the doctor, kind of a general checkup. Have some stuff going on with my heart. Everything is all good. Don't, nobody come ask me after, like, are you okay? I'm totally fine. 
But, uh, I, you know, the doctor listened to my heart, and he said, um, he said, are you, do you worry a lot? He was like, are you anxious? And then he said, is your job stressful? <laughs> this is y'all's fault. I said, <laughs> I said, yes, yes, and yes. And he looked at me and he said, you need to learn how to meditate. <laughs> you can't make this up. You cannot make this up. I said, you know, Doc, that's, that's funny you should say that. And I preached a sermon on that just yesterday. <laughs> See, even your pastor is a work in progress. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm still working on these things. And we all are. All of us are. The spiritual disciplines do not come naturally to us. They do not come naturally. You have to learn them. And that's actually what we see in the discipline that we're looking at today, which is prayer. And so if you look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 11, the disciples look at Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. You have to learn them. Spiritual disciplines are different from spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given. But spiritual disciplines have to be learned. They have to be taught. And who better to be taught by than Jesus himself. I want you to notice verse 1 of chapter 11 again. It says that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Do not skip over that phrase. It shows up all the time in the Gospels. Jesus was always praying. And in fact, the busier he got and the more famous he became, the more he prayed which I think is very interesting because that's typically the exact opposite for us. The better life is going, the more, things that se- more, the more things seem to kind of be humming along in life, the busier we get, the less we pray. For many of us, we, we only pray when life gets hard or we are in a pinch. And I want you to know that God hears those prayers, but God wants so much more for you than just that. He wants for prayer to become a regular rhythm in your life. It was for Jesus. It was for Jesus. He practiced it all the time. And he is God. He is the second person of the Godhead. And he prayed all the time. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? I mean, and who better to learn from than Jesus himself, who did this all the time? Now, rarely... Rarely do I tell people to go back and listen to one of my old sermons. That's kind of pretentious for a pastor. You know, I know this really awesome sermon. You should go listen to it. It's by me, actually. And I am awesome, too. Uh, rarely do I do this. But, but if you missed last week, you really do need to go back and listen to it because really what we're doing here is we are, we're zeroing in on the third step of meditation. Last week, uh, we, together, we meditated at the end of the service and I walked you through what Christians and theologians have called Lectio Divina, which is one practice of meditating. And you know, the first step in, in that practice is we listen to God. God speaks to us from his word And then the next step is we speak back to God in prayer. So prayer is always best when it is connected to God's word, all right? So this week we're going to kind of zero in 
on this third step of, of meditation, which is prayer. And I want us to look at four things from this passage this morning. We're going to talk about the invitation of prayer, the gift of prayer, the healing power of prayer. It has such healing power for your life. And then fourth, the secret of prayer. There's a secret in this passage. All right, so the, 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 the invitation, the gift, the healing power, and the secret. First, the invitation. Now, the reason, the reason that uh, the verses start over in the middle of this reading, I don't know if you noticed it, uh, they went from like 42, I think, to verse 1, is because we printed for you the very end of verse 10 and the very beginning of verse 11. These verses run into each other. If you open your Bibles... They run right into each other. They are back to back. This is actually really important because chapter and verse divisions is not something that existed initially. These kind of came along in later times. So in other words, we really need to see, we're going to dive into the Lord's Prayer here in uh, chapter 11 in just a couple minutes. It's a very famous prayer uh, in verses 1 through 4. We pray that almost every week. But before we get to that, we're going to look at this famous story of Mary and Martha that comes at the very end of chapter 10. And I want you to know that the gospel writers were very intentional about where they put things in the gospels. And Luke is doing something very intentional here by putting this very famous story of Mary and Martha right before Jesus' teaching on prayer. What is he doing? He's trying to teach us something about prayer through this story of these two women. And what is he trying to teach us? What is there for us to learn? Here it is. There is an incredible invitation in prayer. An incredible invitation for you in prayer. I love this story, the story of two sisters who are hosting Jesus in their home. And one is sitting at Jesus' feet while the other one is busy making preparations. One is enjoying his presence while the other one is thinking about everything that needs to be done. One is focused on him while the other one is distracted. Distracted. That is the word that Luke uses in verse 40, he says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now she's, in this moment, she is literally talking to God. That's what prayer is. And at the very same time, she is distracted by all these other things that need to be done. Have you ever experienced being distracted in prayer. Have you ever experienced this? Let me tell you what happens every time I sit down to pray. Every, literally, this is not an exaggeration. Every time that I sit down to pray, typically within the first 10 to 15 seconds, I think something like, I wonder where I'm going to eat lunch today. <laughs> Or I think, oh, oh, let me, let me respond real quick to this text that just came through. Or I think, you know, I cannot believe that that person said that to me. And you know what I'm going to say to them? I mean, can anybody relate to this? I, get, I start thinking about all the things that I need to do that day, all the things that, that haven't been done, constantly distracted. How do you think God relates to you in that moment? Do you think that he is frustrated do you think that he's impatient? Do you think that God is like, I don't even know why I'm listening to you because you can't even focus for 10 seconds. <laughs> you will never incorporate the spiritual discipline of prayer into your life if that is how you think God relates to you. And most of us do. 
But this text tells us that it's the exact opposite. Jesus does not look at this woman and say, can you just focus? Can you just pull it together? No, he looks at her, and in verse 41, this is the very first recorded response that we have of Jesus to her, he says, Martha, Martha. Now, he doesn't just say Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, and you say, wow, she was really distracted. Jesus had to say her name twice. No. The, the doubling of the name in Semitic language is a sign of affection. It, it's like the other places in the Gospels. Jesus does this. He, he, he comes into Jerusalem and he says that he looks out over the city and he sees all of the brokenness and the injustice and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Or in his last meal with his disciples, and Peter says, I will never betray you. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Satan has sifted you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. See, Jesus is not frustrated with Martha. He is not rebuking Martha. You know what he's doing? He is inviting her. He is inviting her back into his loving presence. And he is always inviting you. He is always inviting you, even in your distraction. He invites you in your distraction. You know what else, he, what else he invites you in? He invites you in your anger. Some of you are here this morning and you think, I'm too angry to pray. You may feel too angry to pray, but God is not too angry to listen. You're not too angry for God to listen. God invites you in your anger. God invites you when you feel nothing for him. He invites you to come in the absence of any affections that you may have for him. He, inv- he is always inviting you. And so here's, here's, uh, here's what I've been doing recently when I get distracted in prayer. This is kind of a new practice for me. Is that whenever I get distracted, this is what I say. And I say this out loud. I say, Lord, here I am. And then when I get distracted again, I say, Lord, here I am. And I heard someone say this recently, they said, it's so beautiful, they said, if your mind gets distracted a hundred times in ten minutes of prayer, it is one hundred opportunities to return to the loving presence of Jesus Christ. God is always inviting you. That is the invitation. Let's talk about the gift, the gift of prayer. This passage tells us that there is a hidden gift in prayer. In verse 41, Jesus says to Martha, You are worried and upset about many things. There's this deep anxiety in Martha's life. See, but Mary is the opposite. She's not worried. She's not anxious. She is placid. She is calm. Her soul and her mind are at rest. Now, sociologists are actually telling us that we are living in a a society that is increasing in Martha's. We are not increasing in Mary's. We are increasing in Martha's. There was a study that came out just a couple years ago from the Pew Research Center, and it looked at the decline of religion in the U.S. And let me give you some statistics here. It said that 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians. Now, that is down down 12% over the past decade. At the same time, the number who identify as irreligious meaning atheist or agnostic or or nothing, is up 
to 26%, and that's an increase of almost 10% in the last decade. So let me, let me summarize this for you. Religion is out, and irreligion is in, which means that we're actually not praying more as a society, we're praying less. Now here's what's interesting. As society has gotten more and more secular, you know what else we've gotten? We have gotten more anxious. We, we, we've gotten more worry in our lives. In fact, anxiety has replaced depression as the number one mental health diagnosis on college campuses. Psychologist Robert Leahy says this. He says, we live in the age of anxiety. We have become a nation of nervous wrecks. 30% of people in this country will experience an anxiety disorder at some point over the course of their lives. And Leahy says that the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. The more religion has gone down, the more worry and anxiety have gone up. We are a society not of Mary's but of Martha's. And we are worried and upset about so many things. Is there anything that can help us? Yes. And Jesus tells us in verse 41... He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. You want to deal with your worry and anxiety? Just, Jesus says, just one thing is needed. Okay, what is it? Jesus says, well, Mary chose it. Okay, what is it? Jesus says, well, it can't be taken away from her. Okay, what is it? Just tell us. You know, this makes me think of uh, one of those moments in Harry Potter where Dumbledore gives him some kind of cryptic hint, you know, and he doesn't tell him what it's about, and Harry's got to go figure it out, and you're like, Jesus, just tell us what it is. Jesus is saying, if you want your worry and anxiety to begin to be healed, if you want to be free, if you want to live at rest, only one thing is needed. What is it? Don't you want to know? Don't you want to know? I guess you don't want to know. Do you want to know? Jesus doesn't tell us. It's a cliffhanger. Look at at the end of chapter 10. He says, Mary has chosen it, and it won't be taken away from her. It's a cliffhanger. Until chapter 11. The reason that Jesus teaches on prayer right after this is because prayer is the one thing. Now, I, I know this is not, you know, any sort of significant research to share with you, but I, I Googled this week, how do you have peace in life? And I will tell you that a lot of lists came up, and they all had a lot of overlap. They all talked about, well, you got to spend time in nature. They all talked about self-acceptance and self-love. They talked about uh, decluttering. I was like, well, I'm hopeless, you know. Uh, They talked about thinking positive thoughts or focusing only on what you can control. Now, there's wisdom in, in a lot of these things, but I want you to know none of them are the ultimate antidote to worry and anxiety in your life. 
Jesus says, if you really want to deal with these things, you have to learn to pray. I mean, what a gift. What a gift that God is offering to us this morning and every day in prayer. And maybe you are thinking, or at least I hope that you are asking, well, how does that work? Tell me how that works. And that actually brings us to the third point, which is the healing power of prayer. Now, let's look at Jesus' teaching here in the Lord's Prayer in chapter 11. We could spend a whole sermon series on this, and, and one day we will. But for today, I just want you to notice one thing, one thing about this prayer that Jesus gives to us in chapter 11. I want you to notice that in the second half of the prayer, Jesus tells us to pray about our personal needs. He says we should ask God for forgiveness. We should ask God for strength when we're tempted. He says that we should ask God for our daily bread. I was uh, having lunch with somebody in our church a couple weeks ago. We were at a restaurant. We were sitting at the table waiting for our food. Their food came first. And I said, you know, go ahead and eat. You know, don't want it to get cold. And they said, well, don't you think we should pray? I'm I'm a terrible pastor. Man, I'm the one supposed to say that. Uh, And I said, I said, you know, um, that's that's really interesting and really wonderful. I, I even a lot of most Christians here don't don't do this, you know, when they're out in a restaurant, especially. And I said, what made you start doing this? And they said, well, because I've, I've known what it's like to not have money for my next meal. I've known what it's like to go hungry. I've known what it's like to skip meals. See, Jesus says, pray about your personal needs, your daily bread. No, no detail is too small, is what Jesus is saying. God cares about every part of your life. Some of you think, well, God only cares about these kind of certain big things, these other things he's not too interested in. No, Jesus says God is interested in every part of your life. So ask him. Ask him. Make requests. But before Jesus tells us to pray for our personal needs, he says we should pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, hallowed be your name is simply a way of saying, God, may you be praised. May you be glorified. It's, 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 it's kind of that first step in meditation where you, you, God speaks to you through his word and he's revealing certain things to you about his character and what he's like. And so our first response is to say, God, it's, it's to adore God. It's not just to get something from him. That's, that's one of the key aspects of at least the way Christianity talks about prayer is we're going to God not just to get something from him, but we're going to him just to get him. And so it's saying, God, may you be praised and may you be glorified. And may your kingdom come is what Jesus teaches us to pray. Now, I want you to see this. He teaches us, this is what the one thing I want you to see about the prayer this morning, is that Jesus teaches us to pray for God's glory and God's kingdom before he teaches us to pray for our own needs. And you say, well, why? Well, let's go back to the story of Martha for just a minute. Because Martha makes a personal request of Jesus. She says, Jesus, I have a need. My sister is lazy. (laughs) Tell her to help me. She's not doing anything. And how does Jesus respond to this request? He turns it down. 
He doesn't give her what she asked for. And here's the reason. The reason is because she has a broken perspective. See, what, what Martha is doing when she comes to Jesus and she says, I have a need, she is praying, she is praying her daily bread in this moment. And daily bread are the things that we think, I've got to have this or else I'm dead. And that can be physically dead or it can be emotionally dead. Daily bread are the things that we think we need in order to be happy. And you see, for Martha, it's work. Martha cannot stop. See, Mary is resting, but Martha can't rest. Do you know what that's a sign of? It is a sign of someone who has made their work their God. This actually goes back to the very first discipline we looked at two weeks ago, which was Sabbath. If you can't rest, if you can't take a day off, it's probably not a sign that you're too busy. It's, it's a sign that you have made work and success your daily bread. They've become your meaning and purpose in life. And you see, we're all doing this, friends. No matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, no matter where you are in terms of Christian belief, no matter how you identify spiritually, we're all making something our daily bread. It can be sex, it can be money, it can be relationships, it can be family, it can be beauty. We look at so many things and we think, if I don't have this, life is not worth living. It'll be like an emotional death. And if you want to kind of figure out what you think your daily bread is, it's actually really simple. Just ask yourself this question. What am I worried about? What am I anxious about? What are the things that I think if I lose this, if God takes this from me, or if God doesn't give this to me, then life will be severely lacking. And you see, the point is this, is that we are just like Martha. We, we have a broken perspective. We, we think that we know what we need, but we don't. And what we really need is we need a healed perspective. And what Jesus is doing in these verses is that he is teaching us a way to pray that makes that possible. And here it is. We pray for God's glory in his kingdom before we pray for our own personal needs. To pray for God's kingdom in the longer version of the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says it this way. He says, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is not how most of us pray. And I can prove it to you just with one question. If God answered all of your prayers from this last week, would this city look more like heaven? I mean, of course, if God answered your prayers from this last week, things in your life would look different. But what about things in your neighbor's life? And what about things in this city? Would it look any more like heaven? You see, Jesus says, start by praying not for yourself, but for God's kingdom. Because God's kingdom is one of justice and love and mercy and forgiveness and goodness and beauty. And God's kingdom is about the business of, of, of giving hope to the hopeless and of restoring relationships, and of renewing neighborhoods and cities. And you see, praying for God's kingdom, it actually trains us to put God's glory and the good of our neighbor and of our city at the very center of our prayers. 
And I want you to think about this, that, that when you learn how to pray this way, there will be two things that will happen in your life. And the first is this, is it will totally change your perspective on what your daily bread is. You'll have a new perspective on what your needs actually are. And the second thing is not only will your perspective begin to be healed, but you know what else will begin to be healed? Your worry. See, many of us, me included, (laughs) we live in fear. What if God doesn't give me this? What if God doesn't do that? I've been thinking this week about Psalm 34. Psalm 34 that says this. Psalm 34 says, those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, that's an incredible statement. Because I don't know about you, but I have asked God for things, and he has not given them to me. And that means one of two things. It either means that God is holding out on me, or it means that I don't actually know what good things are. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is, learn to pray. Learn to pray. You have to learn it. It's not natural. Learn to pray for God's glory and God's kingdom first, and you will begin to discover what truly good things are. Things like being known and loved by God. Things like experiencing his power and his presence in your life. Things like being a part of his work in the world and his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And friends, every time you ask for those things, God will give them to you. Jesus never withholds daily bread. The problem is sometimes we don't actually know what our daily bread is. And I just want you to think about how much less worry and anxiety you would have in your life if you really believe that. See, because some of you are saying, what about the things that you ask for and God doesn't give them to you? And what Jesus is saying is, I'll either give you what you asked for in prayer or I will give you what you would have asked for if you had a healed perspective, if you had his perspective. See, we only see We don't even see half the picture. But he sees the whole picture. And I love the way that Tim Keller puts this. He says, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. I mean, how much less worry and anxiety would you have in your life if you really believe that? If you really believe that When God doesn't give you something that you want, it's because he's giving you what you really need. And of course, the question is, well, how? How could we actually ever believe that? Because many of us have prayed for seemingly good things, and God has not responded to those things, and we cannot cannot make any sense of why God has not responded to those things. We're like Martha in verse 41. I love how human... She is in this moment. She looks at Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care? And that's where some of us are this morning. We're saying, God, don't you care? See, how could we actually ever come to trust and believe like this? How could we ever learn to actually pray with this kind of healed perspective? And that's actually the last point, which is the secret of prayer. 
And if you remember nothing else that I say today, I want you to remember this. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. That is the secret to everything we've been talking about today. If you miss that, you'll miss everything else that Jesus has to tell us about prayer. He says, Father. You know, John Calvin once wrote, he said, we do, not li- we do not rightly pray to God unless we are surely persuaded in our hearts that he is our Father. J.I. Packer says this, he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. The, the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about in this passage It is only possible, it is only possible if you come to know God as your Father. It is the only way to trust Him and to pray with this kind of healed perspective. I have children, and I am by no means a perfect dad, but I do love my kids. And I will tell you, they have made some pretty extreme requests of me along the way particularly when they were much younger. You know, when they were five, they wanted to eat ice cream every meal. They wanted to watch screens all day. And they wanted to stay up till midnight. And I did not grant those requests. You know why? Because I love them. My job is to give them what they need and not what they want. And you say, well, okay, But I haven't been asking God for ice cream and more screen time. I've been asking God for a spouse. I've been asking God to take the cancer away. I've been asking God to take these desires away. I've been asking God to restore my marriage. And so you tell me, Pastor, why isn't he doing that? And the truth is, I don't know. But here's what I do know. The one who is teaching us how to pray in this passage knows what it is like to ask God for something and not get it. In Matthew chapter 26, the night before his death, Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if it's possible, May this cup be taken from me. He was asking God to spare him the cup of his wrath and judgment on the cross. And I want you to know something. Go read Matthew 26 later today. Jesus did not just ask God to do that once. He asked him to do it three times. And I think the gospel writers are very intentional about this. Because some of us, we've been asking God for something what feels like a thousand times. And you see, Jesus actually knows what it's like to ask God for something over and over and over again and not get it. And God did not give him what he wanted. He didn't answer the prayer. You know why? The answer comes in the very last prayer that Jesus prays. I mentioned this earlier that Jesus prays a lot in the Gospels, a lot. And every single time that he prays in the Gospels, every single time, there's not a single example of Jesus praying where he does not call God Father. Every single time, every single instance, 
but one. And you know what it is? It's the last one. On the cross, Jesus does not pray, Father. He prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And friends, the wonder of the Christian gospel, and this is the wonder of the Christian gospel, is that God did not answer Jesus' prayer in the garden. He did not give him what he asked for. And the reason was so that he could give us the greatest thing that we could ever ask for, that we could ever long for, which is a God who knows you and a God who loves you and a God who withholds no good thing from you and a God who is always for you and he is always inviting you, even in your distraction, and a God who calls you his beloved child. And that's actually what this table is about. This table reminds us that all of this is possible because on the cross when Jesus prayed, my God, my God, and not Father, that meant that he lost his relationship with the Father so that we could actually call God Father. So here's the invitation for you this morning. What are you worried and upset about? What are you worried and upset about? The invitation for you this morning, the invitation of this table, is to come and lay that at Jesus' feet. The invitation is to come as one who is deeply loved by him, to come as his child. Because that is, that is the only way that you'll ever be able to pray with this kind of healed perspective. It's the only way that you'll ever be able to pray knowing that God will either give you what you asked for or he'll give you what you would have asked for if you know what he knows. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it saying, this cup represents the new covenant which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, we give you thanks for your love for us, that you invite us to come not as servants, not as sheep, not as subjects, but as sons and daughters, that we have been brought into your family, not because of anything that we have done, but all because of what your son has done, our brother, and we are co-heirs with him, and you have invited us to this table and into your family and we pray now that you would help us as we eat and drink together to experience, perhaps for the first time or once again, your fatherly love for us. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.